are listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your guest host, Andrew Martin-Smith. Curious. Intimate. Pensive. Described as cinematic in the best sense, and searing, by Chicago Classical Review, Brittany J. Green's music works to facilitate collaborative, intimate musical spaces that ignite visceral responses. Brittany's research and creative interests include contextualizing the work of Julius Eastman through the lens of queer and critical race theory, mapping aural gestures to gestural recognition technology, and exploring virtual reality platforms as a tool for experiencing immersive, intimate musical moments. Her music has been performed throughout the United States and Canada and featured at the New York City Electronic Festival, Boulanger Initiative's WOCO Festival, Society of Composers, Inc. National Conference, and the Experimental Sound Studio. Brittany's music has been performed by the Jack Quartet, International Contemporary Ensemble, and Splice Ensemble, with upcoming performances and recordings by the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra, Emory University Symphony Orchestra, and Transient Canvas. Her music has been awarded the ASCAP Foundation's Morton Gould Award and New Music USA's Creator Development Grant. Brittany is currently pursuing a PhD in music composition at Duke University as a Dean's Graduate Fellow. Brittany, uh, welcome to Lexical Tones. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. This is this is great. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Um, especially since you know it's it it looks to have been a really really hectic semester for you. First, congrats on successfully completing your your examinations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, what, if you don't mind me prying, what kind of things, what's it like at Duke doing those comprehensive exams? It's intense. Um, so our second year, (laughs) our second year we have qualifying exams and then the third year preliminary exams. And so for the preliminary exam, you submit a proposal at the beginning of the semester, which includes a proposal for your dissertation piece, a proposal for an article paper uh, to write, and then a proposal for an undergraduate course, which includes um, like sample assignments and a syllabus. And then based off of that, your committee writes an exam for you. And so that written exam consists of um, an essay prompt and then a composition prompt. And you have five days to write the piece and to write the essay. And then the following week after you do that, you have an oral exam where you basically defend the proposal and your written exam. So it's uh, like about two weeks of nonstop go and very little sleep. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. These these things are always uh, always so intense. But, um, you know, in some ways. In some ways, we we are our own worst enemy. I, I know, kind of coming in through my my various uh, doctoral examinations, um, you, you know, I put an awful lot of stress on myself. I, I I don't I don't know if you you kind of operated the same way. It feels like we make our own yeah. <laughs> we make our own bed, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, that was my exact and, experience. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And especially when, you know, the uh, of the faculty on your committee and your mentors kind of get to see what you've put together and then literally write an examination based on what you like, what you've proposed or what you have. Um, is it is it top secret what your what your dissertation project is for your composition or can you tell us? 
Yeah, I can tell you a bit about it. So it's going to be um, a chamber ensemble piece, and uh, it's going to have so basically the the kind of idea behind the piece is exploring concepts of coercion, choice, free will, um, lack of choice, kind of like a dictatorship. And so I'm going to build mm. uh, a program in Max that uh, tells the performers what to play uh, from a series of predetermined uh, kind of musical passages. And performers have the opportunity to opt in or opt out of what the computer is telling them to do. So there's going to be some space for improvisation. Um, there's a way that they can end the piece. Uh, but they don't know what that way is. And so it'll be interesting to see how people <laughs> inadvertently trigger the end of the piece. Um, and you won't know what other people around you are doing uh, other than being able to hear what they're playing. And so there, there'll be yeah. like um, a bit of uncertainty in, well, are they playing something that the computer told them to play or are they improvising and it just fits with the material we're playing? So kind of really uh, exploring that and then just digging into Max some more and, and figuring out interesting ways to make those kinds of things happen. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I, you know, I, I continually remind myself there's a reason why, uh, you know, I, I consider you one of my friends, uh, even though we've we've only met, I think, in person once. We've had a lot of digital contact and a lot of kind of Zoom experiences and whatnot. But uh, man, we have some very similar kinds of aesthetic with regard to incorporating elements of improvisation, elements of like technology. Um, the, the concepts that you're dealing with, they just sound fascinating to me. So I'm, I'm going to be really excited to see what you kind of come up with. And if I were a performer in that ensemble, I, I would really enjoy that, that give and take, that sense of of you know, listening to my colleagues around me, like true chamber music, and responding and and wondering, oh, is is that what somebody else is being told to do, or is this them improvising, or how do I react to that? Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what I come up with too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this this uh, kind of reminds me a little bit of actually how we met because oh, forgive me, I wanted to look this up beforehand. I, I feel like was it 28. It was an SCI Region 3 conference. It was 2019, which seems insane. It feels like it was more than three years ago. I, I know, right? Uh, so it was 2019, SCI Region 3, and you were giving a, a paper presentation. It was, was the first time I had ever been in the same room as you. And your presentation, and please feel free to correct me if I'm misremembering, because uh, as you said, a lot has seemingly happened in three years. Um, but it was, it was about incorporating uh, technology into kind of pedagogical outreach for young, younger students, right? You, you were uh, exploring how to use um, different types of software and, and creative kind of outlets for, for younger children. Is that, is that fair to sum up? Did I do you justice? <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the time I was um, kind of working with this Young Composers Project that was spearheaded by East Carolina University and Pitt County Schools. And so I was working with students in uh, kindergarten through fifth grade with composition. And so some of that composition involved Max. Like there was one project we were doing where they would build uh, drum machines in Max. And then there was another project mm -hmm. where they would compose a piece of music for classroom instruments and then 
either in small groups or as a unit, we would notate that in finale. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. there was kind of technology running all through that. And and that was one of the things that I, I was most fascinated by is that concept of using, like we think of things like Max MSP and these object-oriented kind of graphic programming languages where we set things up to connect it as being very, very robust and, and high-end, sophisticated technological algorithms. But it really is like, plug and play like i imagine kids have a ball like connecting objects and like getting things to work and can creating these things in patchers uh so from that moment on it was like oh you know britney j green i have to i have to write this person's name down i have to put them like in in my mind and and kind of keep track of them and you've been doing some just fantastic work uh since 2019 it seems longer ago it really does but uh, i've enjoyed following your career for the past three years thanks and and likewise to you so, you know, leading, leading career-wise, uh, the pieces that you've selected to have showcased on this episode of Lexical Tones, they, they all were written in the last two-ish years, right? You got two pieces from 2020 and, uh, and a piece from 2021, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I did my research on this uh, accurately. Um, yeah. I kind of have, a, I have an order here that I, that I want to present them in, um, unless you object. I would love to talk about uh, Rencontre first, if that's okay. Yeah, um, that's great. And apologies for my French, pron- French pronunciation. You'll, you'll hear it pronounced much better by the Jack Quartet because they actually do a bit of speaking in this, don't they? They do. And they also do a much better job uh, with the French than I do. <laughs> okay, well, let's, let's start there because, um, you know, I am no stranger to having uh, titles in different languages. And, you know, I... I Admittedly, I have some degree of conversational flexibility in French. Um, French and Latin are probably my best languages in terms of reading. Uh, uh, you know, French was my my doctoral kind of language. Um, but to to be like a native English speaker and to use a, a, a title from a different language, you know, wh- what made you gravitate towards this particular French word? And and does it have, you know, it's it's close to a cognate perhaps. So most people who don't speak French might look at this and say, oh, like re-encounters? Question mark. Like so, why why go there? Yeah. So uh, for this piece. It really was inspired by the word itself, just the kind of um, Mm. sonic qualities of the word, the way it sounds when it's spoken. And I was like, (laughs) oh, that's such an interesting (laughs) sounding word. Like sometimes you hear words, you're like, I like the way that word sounds and like the way it like rolls off the tongue. And so I Mm -hmm. really was interested in kind of writing a piece around that word um, that kind of also like put like the sound of the human voice particularly whispery sounds Mm -hmm. uh in conversation with similar sounds with the string quartet and i just like had a general interest in those sounds uh already and so it just made sense funny enough i was uh writing that piece when uh covid happened (laughs) and so right yeah it kind of in some ways felt like it like took on this other meaning as i was finishing the piece um you know and thinking about wow i haven't seen another human being in like a couple months (laughs) in person so it it kind of uh right ended up being full circle in that way 
That's that's really fascinating. Yeah, this is one of the 2020 pieces. And and where where in 2020 was this mid or late 2020? You said a couple months since you'd seen people. So it's obviously after lockdown. Yeah. So I um, finished like the first draft in March of 2020. In mm. fact, I was planning to go to New York um, in March to do some reading and workshopping with Jack Quartet. And then COVID happened, and so that didn't happen. So it was like right, yeah, bummer. Yeah, like right Ugh. when it was all happening is kind of when I was working on the piece. So a little bit before COVID, and then trying to find the motivation to finish it, kind of as things mm-hmm. continued to develop. And and so when uh, so finishing the piece around March, uh, when did you actually have an opportunity to kind of connect with Jack and and work on this? Is this something that they did remotely, or or did you actually get a chance to kind of work with them in person when things sort of opened back up? So both. So I uh, when I finished nice. the draft, I sent it to him, and we were able to have like a virtual workshop over Zoom. And uh, mm-hmm. they recorded on their end, and so they sent over a recording. And then I also um, sent over some additional sketches of material that I was thinking of maybe putting in the piece, and, and they sent some recordings of that. And we were able to talk back and forth over email. Um, and then from there, I was able to hear the piece and decide kind of what I wanted to do to, to finish it uh, for the final draft. Yeah. And so I was able to finish it that way. And then in June of 2021, they premiered it live at uh, the Strathmore for the Woco Fest um, in DC. No, not DC, in Maryland. And so they did it live there. And then they did it live again in New York City uh, in August of last year for time spans. That's so good. Oh, the holy grail of contemporary music is multiple performances. Good for you. Yeah, <laughs> it's the thing we all like <laughs> try to hope for. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you know, it's it's so it's so rough with this whole kind of one and done mentality that that, you know, mm-hmm. thankfully, I've encountered fewer and fewer and fewer ensembles over the years who have this mentality. And perhaps it's just who what circles that I've, I've kind of come to navigate in. Uh, but I've encountered so many more ensembles that when they when they take the time to kind of workshop a piece or commission a piece that, that it stays in their repertoire and they and they want to at least give a couple like solid big performances of it um, and and, you know, maybe bring it back out a few years later, dust it off, you know, which is really, really refreshing. Yeah, I've been running into that a lot, too. And that's something that I'm glad people are doing, particularly in in situations where you're commissioning a piece which is you know kind of a lot of work on our end as composers but also a lot of work on the performers in to realize this piece where there's no kind of pre-existing recording to refer to and you're kind of just collaborating together practice yeah yeah to figure out how it's gonna go (laughs) and so it's like you know why put all of that work into just a one and done type of situation yeah. Okay. I, I got to go back to the word for a second, just because, you know, it's, it is such a fun word, right? This, so, uh, uh, rencontre, the part of what makes it so interesting is of course, the fact that the French R is so very raspy, right? 
And and you're talking about incorporating things like whispering, which, you know, human whispering, there's a lot of, um, you know, sibilance and there's there's just a lot of texture uh, to this kind of thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. I've listened through the piece. There, there's no electronics in this. This is just acoustic, correct? Correct. So, so I listened to it and I realize it's just acoustic, but I can't help but think... Oh no! There's something in Brittany's mind where where she's hearing this as uh, there's an electroacoustic quality to this. Am I am I off base entirely, or do you, are you hearing it in kind of an electronic context? No, no. I I think you're you're kind of spot on. As I li- when I listen back to the piece, I hear that too. I'm like, oh, this sounds like an electroacoustic piece, even though there yeah. are, there are no electronics. And I think that um, something that's been really kind of interesting for me as a composer is kind of what writing electronic and electroacoustic music has done to my kind of compositional style even when I'm not using electronics Mm. and it's really changed the way that I've thought about sound and I think that uh that's clear in that piece because I really wasn't thinking about um thematic material or musical material I really was thinking about sound and then composing around that sound. And so there was a, a particular sound I was after and I was writing towards that instead of like maybe having like some sort of like musical gesture that's then like developed mm-hmm. in the piece. So so yeah, I think that you're spot on with that observation. All right, I, I get to keep my doctorate then too. I, very good. I got I, my ears. My ears in evaluating this are are, are thank you. <laughs> They're validated. Um, you know, I I I gravitate again. This is this is why you know, boy, you know, Brit- Brittany and I. I feel like we have very similar aesthetics and very similar styles. Um, one of the one of the people that I studied with during my uh, time at Bowling Green State University, during the doctoral program, was Eleni Lilios. Who is who is rather well known in kind of electroacoustic and electronic music circles, um, and generally when people study with Eleni, they they study to specifically uh, work, I'm going to write an electronic piece. I'm going to do live processing. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick her brain for all of these very very uh, intense um, you know programming or or uh, electronic music composition strategies. And I did something that I think not many people do when they study with Eleni. I, I just wrote purely acoustic music with her. Mm. I had taken several of her technology classes. Um, and, and I think longtime podcast listeners to Lexical Tones have probably heard part of this story before. But I literally did not bring her any electronic music because I wanted her specifically to take her electroacoustic music brain and filter my acoustic ideas through that and give me suggestions that I just was not even considering. And I think my acoustic music got so much stronger from studying with Eleni. Yeah, I feel like everyone should study, either study electronic music or study with someone who writes it, even if you Mm -hmm. are not interested in writing that kind of music at all or working with technology at all. But there's just such a, a different approach um, to the way that you're working with uh, material and really this kind of like sound focused approach that I think mm-hmm. is easy to miss sometimes if you are kind of strictly doing acoustic music. And I think that it's helpful for anybody. And then also Eleni is a wonderful teacher. I um, 
met her at Splice and uh, took a mm, couple lessons yeah. with her at Splice. And, you know, they they were immensely helpful. So I'm not shocked that you got a lot out of that. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, well, I, I would love to, to take a listen to this piece right now. Unless is there anything else that listeners should be made aware of about uh, Rencontre that you want to to let them know about? Give them a window into the piece before we play it. Yeah, I would say just um, listen to the way that the voice and the strings kind of uh, ebb and flow in and out of each other and enjoy the ride. <laughs> and is this the uh, is this the performance at WOCO? Uh, what, what is this recording from of Jack? Yes, or no, this is actually the uh, recording from Time Spans. So this is the second performance so we're going to listen to the second performance of Rencontre by Brittany J. Green, uh, given by the Jack Quartet.
Okay, so coming back, I, I want to kind of talk about your flute and live electronic piece next. Uh, so this is There Is Only You and I. And this is another uh, 2020 piece, right? So, so where does this fall in the pandemic timeline? I, I, it's unfortunate that we have to do this, but I think it's, it's what we're all going to gravitate towards as like a big <laughs> monumental event. Yeah, so this, um, so I finished this piece, oof, like weeks before COVID, uh, like before people started realizing how serious COVID was. I mean, it was already here. So uh, a flutist from New York, Alex Sop, was doing a residency at Duke, and um, I was working with her to do a recording of a piece, and this was that piece. And uh, we recorded it, and this was like in early March, and then we went to spring break, and then we never came back. So it was like really like (laughs) right there, um, kind of of around the same time as Ron Contras, but a little bit uh, before. So yeah, this was this was sort of so this was before the shutdown. You you actually had a chance to kind of th- th- so this was like the last live piece you did, right? Yes. The, the, the last one that you did before the shutdown. Yes, exactly. Man, so that's that's I, I really like that as a as a frame to what this we had like rencontre, which was like the during and you know thankfully as things started to relax in terms of of situations, live performances started up again, and and this became a piece that kind of got you out of the pandemic potentially uh and then the idea of uh there is only you and i um uh, which now sounds a little foreboding and maybe foreshadowy <laughs> given the context of of uh of when it came out but this was the this was the, the last piece you did before that kind of lockdown and what was the kind of collaborative experience like if you don't if you don't mind me asking yeah so it was really great so i had a chance to work with her through Duke once before that, I was um, taking composition seminar the prior semester, so spring 2019, and I was the seminar was on process music, and so I was, we were really looking mm. at um, a lot of work from Tom Johnson, and particularly looking at his self-similar melodies book, which I found nice. and still find like really fascinating and like exciting to like dig through and like look up things. And so, like, I had written a piece, a process piece for her to read for the seminar, um, and I really loved that that reading, and I love writing flute music. Um, and hmm. so <laughs> I was like, I'm going to just do another process piece. Um, and so I did that, and, and the, the collaboration was really wonderful, and she brought really great ideas and um, really kind of what was exciting about it, which I personally love about working with uh, performers is when you come to a reading and you're like, here's my piece and this is what I was thinking and this is what I wanted here, here and here. And then they play it and then they ask a question that like completely changes the way you see the material. It's like something you didn't even see yourself that's kind of like underlying in the material. And so like I had a lot of those types of experiences with her and it was just really great. Um, even listening back to the recordings after our reading and kind of finalizing the piece and, and just like really digging, you know, all this like exciting stuff out. So it was a really, really fantastic experience and little did I know it would be (laughs) the last in person one for quite some time. (laughs) 
Well, you know, it is that what you're talking about, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's such a magical experience that that collaborative environment mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, a living composer uh, and a living performer who, who is not the composer. I mean, obviously, self-performing collaboration is a lot of fun, too, as you as you go. Why did I write this for myself to play? <laughs> <laughs> um, but but working with another musician, it does feel like, you, you know, in, in some ways, it's a different type of archaeology, right? Because there they're not having to un, they're not having to pick through the piece of of something that may have been lost to time or where they can't ask the composer questions but at the same time even if they ask the composer questions the composer might not have been in that same headspace and so mm-hmm. it really is still like this archaeological kind of oh man oh now but now that both of us know this you know how can we lean into that or or oh maybe we we want to mitigate that experience and go in this direction it's such a really magical environment to be in I think yeah absolutely I I find it really inspiring I'm gonna you mentioned Tom Johnson so I I have I have to say uh I'm also a huge fan in in a lot of ways of of process music Uh, a number of Tom Johnson's pieces have been very very um influential on on how I approach certain types of compositional problems uh, especially generating material getting off the blank page um anybody who is currently Facebook friends with me uh, knows that for the past 15 or 14 or so days, I was wondering uh, I've been about continually that. updating my Facebook, uh, yeah, my, my profile, or not my profile, my cover photo with just increasing numbers of cows. Um, the last, one of the last concerts that happens at Fredonia in the spring is a concert where faculty get together and, and we kind of, we, we program material that's, a little more fun or a little more lighthearted in nature to, to have everybody just relax a little bit. So we call it mayhem because uh, it happens in May, of course. Uh, so we, we have this mayhem concert and um, the composition area pitched to do Nariana's Cows on Mayhem with, you know, a bunch of the faculty uh, all all playing in this ensemble. And uh, the head of uh, our composition area, Rob Deemer, is going to be providing the narrating uh, for this. So so I have to say, yeah, Tom Johnson alive and well at Fredonia in terms of his musical uh, compositions. <laughs> that's that's excellent. And I think that that's such a like uh, kind of studying his music is such a good resource for young composers. And I, I've personally found it really interesting um because i i wasn't someone like that was particularly interested in process music before i took that seminar but it's so fascinating Mm. to use it as just a way to just generate lots of material and it it kind of made it helped me find like another end to composition and so like something i find really interesting now to do as a composer is to just take something and see if I can uncover a piece um, from like a lot of just stuff. And it's easy to do yeah. that with process music to just generate a lot of stuff and then see kind of force yourself, what can I make out of this? And then it, it really highlights kind of what aspects of the music are actually important to you. Are the notes important or is it about the exactly. expression or if it's like yeah. something with electronics, is it the processing? Like, can I take something that, kind of at face value does not sound good or interesting to me and then make it sound interesting by either um, reformatting it or orchestrating it or adding processing to it. And so I find that like really fun to do now. And that's something I Mm. wouldn't have discovered if I didn't 
um, read Tom Johnson's books. So, so I'm yeah. really, I'm yeah, really exactly. glad to hear that, that you all are doing that. It's uh, I've, and forgive me if we've had a conversation before where I've mentioned this, and I, I know uh, it feels that with every passing year, I seem to be becoming an older and older person. So maybe some of my stories are starting to get cycled through, um, but I I really do for the last seven ish years, I've really thought about composition more like sculpture, mm. where I have just a block of raw material. You know, either marble or clay or what what have you, right? And the music is in there somewhere, and I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna chisel away at it. I'm gonna I'm gonna mold it. I'm gonna smooth it. I'm gonna process it. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna filter this data, this this garbage, this this inherently maybe non musical algorithm that has produced these collections of pitches and or rhythms. Uh, how can I make this experience musical? And I found I've had a lot of fun. I've just had an immense amount of fun over the last few years playing playing in that particular sandbox. Wow, I just mixed a lot of metaphors there, but I think that I think that kind of aligns with what you're saying. Yeah, that's exactly uh, that's exactly it. And I I think of it like sculpture too, or like uh, kind of um, art out of found materials, where you're just kind of yeah, like yeah. patching things together. And there's there's so much creativity in that, and it's kind of really helped me see the editing process as a creative process and not and it also like right. relieves the stress of like every time i sit down the idea i write down has to be perfect it's like just write anything and then you know yep. come back and, and yep. see what you can find from it literally took the thought out of my brain yeah it it's so freeing it's just so freeing not to have to worry about being great yeah that's that's what the analytical hat and the editing hat are for after you have stuff to edit. <laughs> okay, so so we we have this idea of of processing uh, 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 or or filtering down or sculpting uh, raw materials. So for this piece, um, there is only you and I. It's for solo flute and and live. It's interactive electronics, right? It's it's live processing. Yes. Are you doing this? Are you accomplishing this through Max? So I actually have a Max version and an Ableton version. So um, this piece, I I used one of Tom Johnson's counting schemes, actually. Uh, mm. I think it was the Pascal Triangle scheme. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think it was that one. And um, so that, that scheme is generating the pitches and uh the rhythm of the the music and then also the timbre not including the electronics so whether the flutist is um you know performing a jet whistle or um mm. an aeolian tone or, or whatever whatever kind of extended technique that the flute is or isn't using is also kind of generated um from this counting scheme and so then from there gotcha. So I wrote that and I had Alex Sop record it and then I went back and used my ear to add electronics to it in Ableton. And then from there, mm -hmm. I built a max patch based off of what I ended up liking. And then I also made like a, a version in Ableton that people can use just Ableton for if they wish to do that. But I find, um, I mean, 
I perform, but it's it's a little different when I perform um, because I'm perform when I perform, I perform electronics. So I find Ableton mm-hmm. uh, great to do for that. But um, my interactions with performers, it seems like Max is a little bit more approachable for performances just because I can um, make the interface look as welcoming yeah. as possible. And there's not a lot yes. of, you know, you're not opening a DAW that you've never used before and there's buttons everywhere. <laughs> I can, you know, set right. it up. So there are these five buttons and these are the only things you have to navigate. Just press start and press the pedal and everything will work. I find that that right. seems to be comforting for performers, particularly if they're not people who often perform with electronics. So I did want to uh, make a Max version and also... Max is free and doesn't require um, as much space on a, right. a machine as Ableton does. So, yeah, that's you know this is a really really good point to bring up, especially as uh, you know I I think you probably have more of a foot in the in the technological area than I do currently. I try and kind of split my time half and half, um, you know, in the in the acoustic world and the in the electronic world. Um, it seems that you do a little bit of that too. Maybe recently, a little bit more of your pieces incorporate some kind of technology in in some way. Um, but the flex, like being as flexible as possible, because man, technology changes quickly. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many older pieces I would love to perform that just you can't anymore. <laughs> oh, there's there's no software that can do it. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's um, the. So this, that's go the, ahead. Sorry. That's the tough thing, and like. Um, I haven't been doing it long enough to have encountered having to like go back and and rewrite something mm-hmm. because like the software doesn't exist freshen anymore. up your patch. Or- but, yeah, but I'm I mean I see that happening all the time. It's like oh this piece is great, but like Max can no longer handle X right. Y and Z because this was written like ten years ago. So yeah, and so I I like the aspect of having multiple windows into performance because uh, even ideally i think even electronic composers and electronic musicians that again not it's not a one and done circumstance we want some life out of these pieces that we spend so much time crafting especially since you get to control so many aspects of the sound it's like no this is like what's in what i want to hear this is in my head so you spend so much time sculpting you kind of want to have as many ways to get that out into the world as possible. So I kind of like that you have a couple different versions that that might be either uh, friendlier in terms of their user interface or or just maybe that that's the that's the platform that's going to be the go-to for this particular festival or this particular concert or what have you. Yeah, and that's something really smart. Yeah, that's something I hadn't done before this piece. Um but since I kind of finished composing it in Ableton, which was also something I hadn't done before. Mm. It was like, and I knew I was going to do a max patch. So I did that. And then I was thinking about it. I was like, well, it would be very easy for me to convert this Ableton file into something someone could do live. So I just went ahead and did it. And so I have both and um, I've had people perform it with both and it seems to nice to work both ways and, and kind of just seems to be, more of a performer preference kind of thing. And like, mm-hmm. I'm happy to do that. That didn't require a lot of additional effort on my end. So it made sense to do it. 
the uh, so th this might be a dangerous dangerous question, and I don't want this to end up being kind of a, a, a Sophie's choice, if you will. Excuse the excuse the uh, analogy, but do you have a preference? Is is there anything different about the Max version or the Ableton version that you're like, ah, I really I really do prefer one over the other. Um, so I don't have a preference now, um, but <laughs> <laughs> originally I did prefer the Ableton version just because I wrote it. I wrote the electronics in Ableton. Gotcha. And so of course yeah. you can do, like I can use the same types of processing in Max, but they're just slightly different in ways that I noticed as the person that composed the piece. But when I listen right. to um, recordings of the Ableton version and recordings of the Max version, I'm like, well, I just really like the music uh, either way. And I think it works. And um, I'm kind of okay as a composer in general with there being like a little bit of flexibility um, in terms of the piece not having to sound the exact same with every performance. And then also the musical material is kind of, written that way too there's a little bit of freedom for the performer to kind of um ebb and flow with the material and stretch it out a little bit longer so no perform no two performances were going to be the same anyway and so for me i think they both sound great and i'm glad that people are performing it so yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I love this. And again, Brittany, you're just confirming the fact that this is why we're friends. Again, that degree of flexibility and that, I, you know, I'm not, I'm personally not interested in the piece, whatever that is. I, I'm interested in this performance of the piece. I, I'm interested in this version. And I think the true testament to uh, the strength of a composition or a composer's craft is when their piece can withstand multiple interpretations that at the end of the day are equally interesting and equally viable. I think that's really, really uh, uh, quite a compliment. And I think this piece does that. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. Um, last thing, maybe last question about this particular piece. So the, the electronics, I love that you came to this as kind of, since everything else kind of has a control parameter, what the flute is doing in terms of material, pitch, and rhythm, what even kind of some timbral considerations of what the flute is doing, I like the fact that the electronics, you kind of lean more into the intuitive side. Um, do you have a go-to set of processes that you're like, okay, I, de I definitely know I need some of these things, like your bag of tricks. What kind of processing uh, are we going to hear in this piece? Yeah, so I definitely do. Um, and it's interesting. I think the things I lean on um, in terms of like electronic processing uh, change depending on which like platform I'm using. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. and I think, all, you know, all these platforms, you know, kind of drive you towards one direction or the other, uh, whether you realize it or not. But like for Ableton... I love working with uh, Ableton's resonators. Um, mm -hmm. I love working with uh, the grain delay and, and things like that. Yep. So so you hear a lot of that in this piece. Um, and then there's also uh, a couple different um, variations of delay that occur and a little bit of reverb as well. And then the, the other thing I forgot to mention is that the text is also computer generated so the processing is like ah. in some ways like the one thing where i'm like um overtly like exerting my uh creative 
uh, brain. But then the other thing with working with processing, uh, process music, which I'm sure you're aware of, is even though like the music is derived from the process, you realize that it is also still a reflection of uh, your creative voice because you're choosing yep. how it's impacting the music. <laughs> I made the choice that it was going to impact yeah. the pitch and rhythm. And then I gave it the parameter, the pitch parameters that it could choose from. And the reason yes. I picked those pitch parameters was because of my creative voice. So your creative voice still comes through, but what's exciting is it comes through in, in ways and in combinations that you might not have put together yourself innately. And so it's interesting to see how your creative voice ends up bending and stretching into these like different uh, configurations that you wouldn't have imagined. Yeah, it's almost like you're kind of in dialogue with your materials on yeah. multiple levels because it's it's no longer just, you know, listening to your musical motives or your your ideas, but you're also in dialogue with the process. And you're also in dialogue with the technology, as you've just pointed out, because if you build a piece like starting from like an Ableton perspective, even if you translate it into Max MSP, you started from Ableton and there are certain processes that that tool is just really good at doing. And so you lean into those even maybe unconsciously as you mm -hmm. as you're starting a piece from that perspective. So, yeah, it's all like filtered through your voice, but also in, in dialogue with the technology and the material, which is just kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's exciting. And it's it's like a collaboration. Like you said, you're in dialogue. And, you know, I think particularly in the last couple of years where we've been, you know, spending a lot of time creating in isolation. Well, I should say more time than we hmm. already do. Right, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's nice to like, feel like there's like a phantom voice that you're kind of <laughs> collaborating with uh, while you're working on a piece. Yeah. So in, in terms of this kind of nested collaboration, then we come back to, you know, the actual flute player who, who you've written this for and, and uh, uh, tell the folks again um, uh, what recording we're going to be listening to of this particular piece and who's performing for you. Yeah. So the recording you're going to be listening to uh, is performed by uh, flutist Sarah Constant, who I met at Splice and uh, we put together this performance virtually. Sarah's based in Canada um, for a Splice uh, virtual concert. Wonderful. Well, let's take a listen. <laughs> Thank you. 
Okay, so for the final piece uh, of three, because you have three here for us, I want to go back to the Jack Quartet. And this one is, is slightly more recent. So this, this has a completion date of 2021, right? This is yes. uh, Lead Me Home. Yes. So, so was this like an outgrowth of your first kind of collaboration with Jack? How, how did this, this piece come about? Yeah, so um, after I finished uh, the first piece with Jack, so it's kind of like, a part of the same thing. So I was in the inaugural Jack gotcha. studio and they paid us a commission to do whatever we wanted to do with them. And so like some people did uh, recordings for like art installations with them. Some people did pieces. Some people did uh, multimedia pieces. So you really could do anything. And so I, wow, uh, yeah, that is quite extensive. Yeah. 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 So I wrote uh, the first piece and I was very happy with that. And I was like, you, but I kind of, and I was encountering this as I was writing Roncontras is I was kind of stuck on like what I wanted to do. Like, what do you do when you can do anything? And so I was like, well, I could just write a second <laughs> <Yeah>. piece <laughs> and, and, and like have them be, you know, two different kind of things. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so I wrote this, this piece as well because I really wanted to do something, um, with some electronics, something that kind of explored a different type of approach to sound. And that approach was kind of building out of uh, the work that I do as a performer. So I do a lot of um, improvisation with live electronics. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I wanted to like kind of yep. write something that kind of address sound in the way that I do in that particular space, which was something that I just started doing during COVID and have continued to do uh, in terms of performing. And so that's kind of how I got to the place where I was like, okay, I want to write this piece. And then the piece itself kind of uh, pulls material from a piece I started writing in 2017. And th at, at that time I had like just started working with electronics and I had an idea for a piece, like I kind of knew what I wanted, but I didn't fully know what I wanted to do with the piece. And then I also mm -hmm. like didn't necessarily have the tools to realize the piece. And yeah, so like execute it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I got like maybe like 60% done with the piece and then ended up not continuing to work on it. But it just came back into my mind when I was thinking about kind of exploring this kind of, uh, static almost uh sound world with jack and i went back and listened to the sketches and i was like oh yeah there's there is something here and so i kind of uh started working on it and reimagining it for string quartet and electronics and that's how i ended up with this piece so um the electronic component is this a fixed track is this a backing track is this is this performed live like what what is the electronic component in relationship to the string quartet yeah so it is um a live uh electronics component okay and so it's a spectrum resonator um on all on each of the string players so their oh. input is going into ableton and then that is the electronics part, just that. So it's very, very pared down. There's not a lot going on um, in terms of like the number, the qu quantity of things happening. Gotcha. I, I really, I really like that too. You, the, the, I really like that though too, because um, you, you've talked about this, this sound world being, oh shoot, what was the word you used? I don't, I don't think you used sparse. You, I, did you say static? Yes. 
Um, Which is in some ways a little, quite not quite the right word, but. Well, I was I was going to say, I think I think I understand what you mean in terms of like the general soundscape, except that in in that one world that you kind of create through the through the string quartet and these electronic resonators. Right. There's a lot of like subtle motion and nuance and the expansion and contraction of sound. Um, it's really haunting is not the right word but it's it's just it's fascinating it's fascinating to kind of be immersed in this environment and i would love to experience this live and and not just kind of on my on my speakers in my mm-hmm. studio but like actually like have the resonance around me in this in this kind of fashion would be really really neat um where where does the title come into play kind of this lead me home idea yeah so the piece the musical material that the strings are playing um in some ways is uh, not necessarily, uh, it doesn't necessarily derive from this hymn, but it's kind of my musical response to the hymn. And that hymn is um, Precious Lord, Lead Me Home, uh, which is written by Thomas Dorsey. And um, the story behind it is like really touching. Like uh, I think his wife died during childbirth or something like that. And then he wrote this hymn afterwards and so that's a hymn that like I just always loved uh the sound of and like is a hymn that I think about a lot and that was the hymn that I was kind of imagining some sort of composition around uh back in 2017 similar to maybe Mm. something like um Ollie Wilson sometimes or something like that yeah and so then uh I kind of revisited the hymn and then kind of decided to write this piece and so lead me home um comes from the ending phrase of the the hymn where it says precious lord lead me home and so that's kind of um where the title came from it's it's a beautiful piece Brittany. it's it's very lovely it's kind of um in in some ways uh in some ways it is very relaxing but again it's i don't consider it like wallpaper music i it's because this sound world while it is very organic um there's just a lot of that that nuance and resonance that kind of comes through that kind of does it still takes you on a little bit of a journey which i think is really is really special yeah yeah i think something i was thinking about um in terms of the the aesthetic and the sound of the piece it's kind of like you know to make a visual uh analogy like when you go to the beach and the sun is out and it's like sparkling on the water and you can see like all those like little tiny bits of sand just reflecting and so it's like uh kind of this focus on like one sound but there's all these little uh sparkling grains of material that kind of shade and color and and recontextualize Mm. that sound as you continue to listen so that's really what i was i'm going for for this piece yeah that's a beautiful image for a beautiful piece yeah well well thought i think if you hold that image in your mind as you listen you'll you'll hear a lot of what we're describing to you uh is is this so was this performed in a in a kind of similar concert uh uh did jack do both of these pieces uh for woco and so they did both for time spans. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so I imagine that the recording we're going to be listening to is the Jack Quartet playing at time span again. Yes, correct. Fantastic. Well, let's give it a listen.
Okay, we're back. Now, Now, Brittany, this is, the, this is the part of the interview for Lexical Tones, which many of our guests dread. I'm just kidding. That's a poor preframe. Although I joke with Rob McClure that this is a really big question to ask. And for the first couple of years of this podcast, the joke was, you always save this question for the end, man. It's such a big question. But here it is. Brittany, how did you come to music as something that you decided that you wanted to do for the rest of your life? <laughs> no pressure <laughs> yeah um so i i had kind of always been been around music um but i really like started studying music as a performer as a clarinetist uh, uh hey <laughs> shout out clarinet <laughs> folks another reason why we're friends um <laughs> in in sixth grade when i uh started band and uh, I started clarinet because a friend of mine in fifth grade played clarinet, and I was like, "Oh, if she could do it, I can do it." And but I actually like really love. Oh my god, playing. I love that! <laughs> Isn't that the most like clarinet <laughs> behavior? I know, right? <laughs> oh, if she can do it, I can do it. But uh, but I loved playing clarinet, and I knew I wanted to do something music related, and so it's always funny looking back because that what specific thing music related always changed in my mind, even though composition mm. was kind of always right there. Um, I remember like in sixth grade, uh, joining band, loving it. I remember I actually, that's when I wrote my first piece of music for an earth science class. We had a project. It was like one of those projects where you can like either write an essay or you can like do this like visual project or something we could pick. And then one of the choices was write a song about the rock cycle or something. Oh yeah. So I like wrote a song with my little <laughs> clarinet, you know, about the rock cycle. Oh and, my God. I love it. So I always think it's funny that my first like compositional experience was like, in earth science class earth science oh my god <laughs> Brittany, please tell me you have this song somewhere still i don't sadly i like oh. wrote it on manuscript paper and i don't have it um which you know i hate that i don't have that because that, that would be is so such cool a great story though <laughs> <laughs> so so in middle school i was like yeah i want to do something with music and i was thinking like i wanted to do like be an a and r person for some reason <laughs> I don't know why. And then uh, in high school, uh, I continued uh, music, but I started taking music theory. And um, obviously from there, composing more, uh, composing for my high school band. I would like arrange music for the marching band all the time. And so then I was like, oh, I'm going to be like a band director. So I went to school uh -huh. for music ed. And I did. Yep. <laughs> I was a band director <laughs> for a few years. And I was like, this is cool, but like, I always still come back to like writing music. So yeah. what would happen if I just like decided to do that? Because I have the music ed degree. I'm still in my early twenties at that point. I can like take the time off, just dive into this. And if it doesn't happen, I can still be a band director. Like there's, you know, not, that's not a big deal. So I did that. So I stopped teaching and went back and got my master's in composition and uh, have been composing full time ever since. So that's kind of how I ended up here. That's I, I love I love this question because there is as much variety as there are composers in, in terms of how and, and musical artists that we interview in terms of how we we get introduced to music uh how it compels us to to make this a vocation and make this a career but for all of the differences uh 
there's this like Venn diagram. There's a lot of really like strong similarities of we're creative people. Um, you know, we're, we're fascinated by community and communication. The earth science thing. I am, I am in <laughs> love with this whole, like this whole story, Brittany is so wonderful, but, but there again, you were presented with options and you're like, I'm going to choose the creative one. <laughs> and so like, do I want to write a paper? Or do I want to do a, a song? Of course, of course, as a composer, <laughs> a future composer, you're going to want to do a song. Um, that's fascinating. Okay, so we have come to what, what unfortunately is the end of our time together. Uh, how, how can listeners kind of connect with you online? Uh, is, do you prefer like Facebook, Instagram? Like what kind of social media presence do you have, Brittany? Yeah, uh, people can find me on Instagram at Brittany J. Green Music uh, and connect with me there. You can also find me on Facebook, uh, Brittany Green and just send me a friend request and you know i add people all the time and love chatting and hearing what other people are doing other musicians are doing over there so either one of those uh works great and you got a great website at www.brittanyjgreen.com uh, which uh you, you do tend to keep pretty well updated thank you for that by the way uh there there's some really good um uh, information up there and you can explore several of uh, Brittany's other pieces or solo works works with electronics uh, chamber works and your large ensemble music is also up there too for people to kind of peruse and, and explore yeah please do <laughs> Brittany thank you so much for taking the time out of your insanely busy schedule to do this this has been a blast thanks for having me I have enjoyed this conversation and uh, always enjoy listening to the podcast so I'm happy to to be included <laughs> Until we meet again, friend, hopefully in person soon. Hopefully. See ya. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com. <laughs>